How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this edition of the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, I'm Sam Holzman, and today's topic uh, may be a little unusual uh, uh, title for you. It's, we call it hyper-competition. And uh, the phrase that I'm using uh, beyond that is going beyond digital transformation that's there. And uh, many organizations have embarked on digital transformation, but we're finding already that people are underwhelmed at the return on investment they're seeing. And our observations, which have been around for quite some time uh, from our consulting work, suggest the high percentage of digital transformation projects and programs are, with a bit of humor, paving existing cow paths, essentially. They're going over and computerizing things um, that were manual or updating those types of things. It's all about essentially launching a new system. Uh, that's out there. And that, unfortunately, is is essentially what we're seeing and when it comes to d- digital transformation. Now, we didn't know what that high percentage was. Uh, we're always a little careful about quoting numbers that, you know, come from our organization. Um, so we look for other sources. And just today, Forbes magazine published a number uh, that startled me. And uh, this is a quote from Forbes magazine. Up to 84% of digital transformation projects fail to deliver their expected benefits. And that essentially is a colossal missing return on investment, collateral damage to the business strategy, shareholder value, and team morale. That's the way they measured that, 84%. And I call that strategy, once again, with a little bit of humor, I call it the purchase order signing strategy. We get a purchase order, we sign it, and immediately success is declared. This is this is kind of a disease that we're we're seeing. No one actually that I know of will say, you know what, we just spent a hundred million dollars and that didn't work because that's very uncomfortable to say. So that's why I call it the purchase order strategy that's you know it's out there. Once we actually go out and invest in something or expense something. Um, there is essentially a success declared. And that's what we're seeing, not only from our numbers, but now with from Ford Magazine. That is an astounding number when you start thinking about, um, you know, the, the costs that are out there. And it comes down to essentially there's a lack of a clear strategy. In other words, what is it about digital transformation that makes it different than computerization or mechanization of manual systems? Uh, that's a rhetorical question a little bit. I don't really know what that difference is. If you go out there and look at the definitions, it's hard to find out what it is. And if there is this digitization that's going on, we often still see it in a siloed environment. They're trying to mechanize human resource uh, acquisition or uh, uh, claims payment processing or, or uh, you know, some, uh, some order entry type of activity. It's essentially just a point solution that's that's going on there. And basically, the issue is the transformation goal has to be more than defined as a new system 
um, you know, that is, uh, you know, that's out there. That's really not going to help very much uh, that's there. And most of the time, it deals with human emotions. And we did a previous broadcast on the difficulties that we see, and we refer to it as bioengineering. There's business change, information or technology change, and organizational change. And that human side, the human emotions, are really what drives decision-making and determines whether some change initiative will actually occur uh, that's out there. And the last issue we, we saw is it's focusing on launch. In other words, uh, yep, we launched the system. Everything should be wonderful. And there's a phrase that I use that's a little bit comical uh, that says, if somebody says there's something mystical and magical out there, like digital transformation, the advice we give is make sure that you firmly put your hand over your wallet because you know it's going to cost you some money you know, that's out there. And the issue is post-launch. Once we get something out there, how are you addressing the benefits that should be realized? It's not just development delivery of, of something that's out there. And that's what we tend to uh, uh, concentrate on. But it goes further than that. And that's why we're calling it essentially the age of hyper-competition. Uh, this is really where we, we, are, we are seeing things. And what is that phrase? Is, is it just a, you know, a new phrase that, that, that I've got out there? It's been out there for quite some time uh, from our client base. And it takes essentially a new capacity the enterprise needs to have, the business, the technology, both of those, to take on new and novel actions in response to changing circumstances. I didn't say a circumstance, circumstances. We're going to see this all the time. It's the ability of the business and its technology to deal with variances, changes that are going on. And in the continuous change world that we're in, hyper-competition world is what I call it, the ability to deal with variance is the key. And we're using the word that we talked about almost a decade ago, dealing with a hyper-competitive world requires what we call maneuverability. And that concept actually comes from Sun Tzu. When he wrote about this, 500 BC. That was a couple of days ago. Even I wasn't around at that particular time. And what we're talking about is not trying to defeat people or defeat organizations, so to speak, using the war analogy, by attrition, but actually on maneuverability, outmaneuvering our competitors, outmaneuvering our competition that's out there. And that word is essentially a, a quality word about the enterprise, the business, and its systems that allow it to respond to change and variety. And if I may be so bold, handcrafting computer systems Writing code isn't ever going to get us there. We cannot possibly be maneuverable. The business complexity translates into information systems. And we first have to go look at the business strategy and the business activities before we mechanize anything. And again, coming back to the phrase, handcrafting, we've got to get away from this immature process. And I don't have to tell anybody nowadays about the continuous thing that's going on out there, which is hacking. And just recently, we just had another one. And we're going to have more and more and more because the fundamental issue 
And you can use lots of nice little phrases about vulnerabilities and hacks and things like that. It's poor software practice. But our enterprises are now fully dependent upon technology, especially in this hyper-competitive world that that we're at. And it's the ability to deal with variance on a day in and day out basis, not just periodically when we see a new competitor, a new product or a new service. And we have to be able to look at this concept and say, this is the way we're going to address a constant approach to change. We're maneuvering as the competition changes, as the business climate changes, as the political climate changes, all these things that are out there give us the ability to take new and novel actions in response to new and changed circumstances. And a lot of this stuff isn't isn't predictable. And that's why this word maneuverability and the work of Sun Tzu, if you go out and read his book, it's been translated I don't know how many times. Uh, The original text is called Sun Tzu and the Art of War uh, that's there. And it's, it's all about being able to essentially look at things as a competitive, combative environment. Sometimes that's a little nasty, I know. But that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to increase wallet share. And if we are, you know, a a, a nonprofit or government organization, it's the same thing. It may not be dollars that's the measure, but it would be citizen satisfaction or essentially the people that we work with, the satisfaction quotient that's out there as their needs changed. Um, we had the privilege and, and pleasure actually working with a, a number of, of nonprofits and things. And if you look at their game plan, it's measurable. What are we trying to do first? Well, we're trying to make sure that these people stay relatively clean and sober. The word relative is a measure. It's not going to happen overnight. Then we're going to clothe these people. Then we're going to give them a little bit of food and, and after that, education. And then after the education, we're going to give them a profession. And then we'll be able to put them on their feet that's there. So these environmental disruptions that we're seeing can be measured various ways. And in the commercial sector, of course, it is market share in dollars. But in the uh, uh, sector of government or the sectors of of, uh, uh, charities and and nonprofits, those those measures are also available. It's there. It's maneuverability. It's being able to change direction. We sometimes see this in in, uh, not-for-profits where their focus initially needs to change because the needs of their clientele needs to change there too. So it's the ability to reconfigure and remain in alignment with the changing environment that's out there. The ability to add things, modify things, delete things without the whole system coming down. And I don't mean the computer system, but the business coming down without causing massive destructions. The ability to adapt to fluctuations, both in the marketplace and also in, in things that we, we see out there. And so we have this dynamic marketplace environment, not only from pricing and things like that, but also the other things that we need to do. And of course, a contemporary phrase that a lot of organizations are, are hearing about is the word agile or agility, which unfortunately has almost been taken over by the technology community called, you know, agile programming or agile systems or agile this or agile that. That once again is a cause we're looking for the effect 
that, that will actually give us that. And when we actually look at this concept of maneuverability, there's one approach that we've sometimes taken as organizations, whether again in the commercial or private sector that's out there, one is it's attrition. And we see that going on with a lot of the big players right now. We're just going to financially tucker everybody out or we'll make this so miserable or bring down the margin so small um, that nobody will be able to compete with us. And, and that is a strategy. And uh, you can see that. You can see that in a lot of areas. So how do you react to this? Well, that's where the concept of maneuverability comes in. And from Sun Tzu's articles, he talks about essentially in, in, the, uh, in the writings that he has here, it's not the number of soldiers that you have. It's the ability to understand the maneuver around your enemy. And using that analogy, once again, it's the concept of moving and stinging, moving and stinging. And essentially what you're trying to do is to get the opponent to respond to you rather than you being responding to the opponent. So it's getting that upper hand there because of your ability to maneuver, because of your infrastructure, your business strategy, and your approaches that we're talking about. And the other thing we all have to recognize is the shifting marketplace from national boundaries, whether we see attrition or not, to global wars of maneuverability or global marketplaces of maneuverability. So we can see this concept all over the place. And to give you an idea of, uh, of, of this book, and by the way, um, I'm not just counting on this book from, from this particular you know, uh, session that we have right now. Uh, I've used it in the past and, and things like that. And I'm not saying this is the only thing out there you should read. But it is an interesting thing that was, you know, if you think about it, 500 BC, it was written a couple of days ago. And there's some incredible thoughts that are out there about this concept of now what we call hyper-competition. And one of the quotes in Sun Tzu's book on maneuverability is, some win through speed, use swiftness to wear them out. In other words, the ability to react very quickly. They get the upper hand through extraordinary swiftness, excuse me, swiftness. Be as fast as the lightning that flickers before you can blink. Yes, he was a great author. Adoption means not clinging to fixed methods. This is one of the key things. If we really want to look at maneuverability, this concept, we can't cling to the fixed methods that are out there in the past. Those who can face the unprepared with preparation are victorious. The ability to gain victory by changing and adapting to the opponent is called, I love this, genius. This is what we're trying to do, is to, is to get an, a, a situation where we're applying our strengths doesn't matter our size, our strength, to outmaneuver the competition that's there. Because we know where attrition is going to lead us. And that's the big, the big guys, so to speak, are going to win. Doesn't mean, by the way, that the big guys can't be maneuverable either. It's something we have to think about. So that's getting that, that concept that's there. And within this concept, there are different sub-things that we can do. We can menace our opponent, <laughs> we can sort of make their life miserable for various reasons that, you know, that are out there, turn their attention from their agenda to our agenda. In other words, we become the leader, not size, the leader in innovation, the leader in competitiveness, 
the leader in customer satisfaction. Yes, the leader in pricing. There can be a lot of different areas that are out there. We can raise the tempo of change. Or we can change the tempo of change to cause their internal processes to start having issues. We can create imbalances that are out there. We can create friction in the marketplace so that we have our plans and our processes and our initiatives and our alliances being the key in this concept of new vulnerability. We can bring our assets to an opportunity and concentrate that asset disproportionately on that particular thing that we're trying to do, whether it's marketplace or a new product or new situation, to essentially disrupt that part of the market and go on to, to attack a different market that's out there. These are all the concepts of maneuverability. It's essentially this, this thing that we call stinging. I know that sometimes, you know, has, has an inappropriate conversation, you know, sting, you know, that's there. Not the singer, by the way. He's pretty good. We're talking about a concept, a strategy of picking things out there and disrupting activities that are going on. And the whole focus needs to remain on satisfying our customers and possibly their customers while they're focusing on us. It's turning that thing around, changing that thing out there. We can use speed. We can use deception. I don't mean evil deception. I mean product and services deceptions that are out there, changing things that are going on. So there's lots of things that we can do. And after we take our short break, we're going to be uh, essentially discussing some of the behaviors that we think your organizations can take to make you more maneuverable in this hyper-competitive world we're in. I'm Sam Holzman. This is the 2020s Enterprise. We're speaking about hyper-competition and things that organizations can do. We'll see you back here in a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Hypercompetition, maneuverability is what we're talking about. I'm Sam Holzman and by the way, during the show, uh, we are going to be actually tweeting out there, 
And uh, I think it's called my Twitter handle. I'm not that uh, experienced in that area. I'm actually obviously not being able to do it physically right now, but one of my colleagues is, is Sam Holkman, S-A-M-H-O-L-C-M-A-N, S-A-M-H-O-L-C-M-A-N. If somebody wants to see some of the tweets that are going on that parallel what we're talking about here in the show. And so this concept of maneuverability, getting the organization, not just the technology, not just installing a system in the organization, but getting the whole organization to recognize this concept of hyper-competitiveness in a worldwide basis. It may sound like a slogan, and I apologize for that, but we're trying to move away from the technology focus that everybody seems to be doing whether it's digital transformation or agile programming, these things are tools, but the business has to be maneuverable. The business has to have these characteristics that are there. And we have to understand every business or organization, as I mentioned before, government agencies, charitable organizations, religious organizations, they have to take advantage of the situations that are unfolding. And that's this concept of maneuverability. And if they start chasing you, they don't have time or energy to develop plans of their own. That's the whole purpose of this. We can become the leader as things are are going on. And people look at various organizations and, and, and put them up there on a pedestal for a period of time. And it's great to look at that. You know, for example, if we look back at Steve Jobs and, and the work that he did at Apple, it's astounding. It's absolutely astounding how the marketplace started chasing him and his company before anybody was out there. I mean, did ever, anybody really think that you needed something in your pocket to hold 10 million songs or 5 million songs, things like that? We didn't think about those types of things that are out there. Or the, the changes that Siate Nadala at, I, hopefully I pronounced his name correctly, at Microsoft is doing. Astounding. It's a trillion dollar company over the past five years not that the old management was bad, I don't want to suggest that, but he's been able to transform, to, to maneuver that organization, get them to understand this concept of continuous change and taking their assets and being able to outsmart the competition on a day-in and day-out basis. And it's that movement of resources in relation to the marketplace changing all the time. You have to look at your resources that you have. You've got tools, techniques, processes, methods, uh, proprietary uh, activities, uh, patents, brain cells, smarts, those types of things. All of those pieces and putting them together as a strategy and looking at that strategy as understanding continuous change. It's almost like waking up every day and being a little bit nervous that you may not be around the next day as, as, as an organization that's there. And what we really want to do is to make sure that we have all of those things in place. And we can use a lot of different areas. So here's just a list of things that when we talk about maneuverability, you can think about. You can use surprise. Oh, look at this new product or new service that we have here. We can be a disruptor. You can be a financial disruptor. You can be a, quote, tool disruptor that's out there. You can have dislocation. You can have mobility. Let's look at the mobility point in, in you know, uh, just a moment here. 
everyone, and I won't say everyone, but most people walk around with some kind of electronic device in their pocket or purse or somewhere or their wallet uh, or their, uh, you know, carry on something or another, that mobility area, how do we actually, you know, change that? How do we alter the rules of the game, for example? How do we change uh, those types of things that are there? How do we change the speed of change? How do we change the speed of change? Do we accelerate it? Do we slow it down? Do we look at different things that are out there? How can we take our forces and concentrate them in a specific area that's out there? We may not be able to take on the whole competitive environment, but if we get our competition to start looking at one action there, again, take their eye off the ball, that's what we're looking for. We can create friction, either in the marketplace or making it difficult for these competitors to penetrate our marketplace as we gain more market share. And we create dilemmas that they may have here. Not ethical, hopefully, (laughs) but product or services. And uh, I was dealing with a a foreign government just a a while ago and listening to some of the things they're trying to do for their citizenry, um, which hadn't worked out in some other countries that, uh, you know, we also have been working with. And and one of the things I said, I don't want to name the country because they asked me actually not to. Uh, I said, in a democracy, things are different than in a environment that doesn't have democracy, if I can say that, is more dictatorial, if I can use that phrase. And I think you know what I mean. In other words, you can set direction. And that has benefits and drawbacks. Of course, the, the drawback is groupthink comes in there. So this whole thing about maneuverability involves four things. How do you actually take action and using the, the, uh, the, uh, the warrior approach, it's called the command and control. So in a business or in an organization, it's really about strategy and plans that we're talking about. Another thing you can do about maneuverability is logistics, where you put your resources. Where do you put your research? How do you address those types of things? And of course, we see things now that, you know, one day delivery, uh, pretty soon it will be one hour delivery, one minute delivery. How about this one? The anticipatory delivery system. Before you even think about it, the products are at your doorstep. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but uh, you, you just never know. And of course, the strategy that's out there the execution of the plan that's there. And what we're trying to do is to shift the direction of the other people out there, make them move where we have essentially the advantage of maneuverability that's out there. And the marketplace is what we're looking at. Again, if you're in a commercial sector, and the battlefield that we talk about is essentially the customer value proposition or the citizen value proposition. That's what we have to put out there is how do we get the citizenry or the customer to recognize our abilities amongst others? And that's always the front and center thing that we're looking at, the value proposition that's there. The command and control are management systems, whether they're mechanized or manual. Do they have maneuverability? Or they are, are they rigor mortis into a set of computer systems 
um, that have one way of doing things because they've been around for so long that's out there. The logistics, how do we actually deliver things, are the processes we use. We always hear about process improvement. Uh, It's a great thing. But one of the things that we need to look at before we start improving processes is the goals that we're trying to achieve as an organization. Do we even need those processes in the first place? So we see a lot of organizations doing process improvement and not thinking about whether that process in the new world or in the new environment really has to be done at all that's out there. And of course, the most important things is a executable, human consumable strategy and enabling of that strategy through architecture. Some baseline for addressing and managing continuous change in this world of maneuverability. Now, how do we compete in this environment that's there? Removing essentially from a temporary advantages to a sustainable competitive advantage. And you see that that fluctuation that's out there. And what we're doing here is using all of these techniques, speed, agility, surprise, maneuverability, disruption, strategic change to get a competitive advantage and have those others follow us. That's what this concept of hyper-competition is all about. Now, within this, yes, of course, there is a technology component. And in in our age that we're in right now, in the information age, this is one of the key things. And in a previous episode of, of the 2020s Enterprise Show, I did a whole series of things in looking at the information age and how it is changing from the industrial age as we're moving through the Internet age into the information age. And this is where we can now harness these types of things as we move forward. And the information-based enhancements and maneuverability become a great way, possibly even a primary way, to create new products and services and to enhance the value of existing products and services that are out there. So we can change things around, but it comes from the business strategy and the ability to change its mind, the enterprise and the business to change its mind and being able to execute against that, of course, in a strategic, architected manner, not willy-nilly, try this, try that, try this, try that. That doesn't work. Customers get very, very upset about that, or the constituents get very, very upset about that. And so as we get more information in the organizations and different forms of information, New ways of working and living come out of that. And that's what we want to take advantage of in the information age that's there. In order to do that, this concept of maneuverability really, really becomes very, very important. And really what we're doing is shifting from moving atoms, physical objects, to moving bits. One of my favorite old television shows, uh, which you've got to go to different sources to see nowadays, uh, was The Jetsons. And um, if you want to see a picture of the future, uh, it's really kind of a fascinating television show. Um, If some of you remember, there was George and Jane, and uh, they had a robotic dog, um, and they had a robotic uh, 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 housekeeper, Rosie, um, that was out there. And uh, 
moving sidewalks, also known as moving sidewalks that we have today, golf clubs that change their pitch, of course, automatically on a Destin show, but we now have that situation that's there. Um, you saw that with Mr. Elon Musk about the uh, hyper tubes and things like that. And if you remember, Jane Jetson uh, would take uh, uh, their two kids and snap her fingers and the shell would come over the kids and they go to this into this tube and show up at the elementary or junior high school uh, you know, that's out there. So some of these things that we're seeing or, you know, in the, in the TV show is, is what we're seeing now. And coming back to this concept of maneuverability, uh, Jane, uh, the, I hate to use the word housewife, it has some connotations now, the house person, uh, but it was Jane, uh, had the food rack cycle in the, in, the, in the house. And that was the machine that essentially made meals. Uh, so instead of having to go to the grocery store, uh, Jane would prepare you know, dinner or lunch or something like that by pushing some buttons. And uh, she had a huge issue that she was facing. Uh, she was getting finger fatigue and she was getting this, uh, 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 this uh, callus on her finger and she was complaining to her husband about uh, this type of thing. So forget about the del- drone delivery. Forget about uh, one day delivery. Uh, you had this machine essentially that's there that magically and mystically would prepare meals. And by the way, if you do watch the TV show, uh, when Jane delivered the, uh, the the meals that was there, it was usually something that looked like a a capsule uh, that you take if you had a headache or something like that, or a vitamin capsule. It wasn't a uh, multi-course meal that you sat down with a knife and a fork. I don't know where the, the, the future is going, but I'm bringing this up to you that the organization has to be prepared for this constant shift in things. And let me come back to where you and I are right now in the U.S., you know, we were dissatisfied with five-day delivery. We were dissatisfied with two-day delivery. We are becoming dissatisfied with one-day delivery. So now we're going to see two-hour delivery. Maybe, again, from a maneuverability standpoint, this is what we're looking at. Or maybe we don't need that. Maybe we can take a totally different approach to looking at the marketplace. And that's the concept of maneuverability. Now, the other thing we have to look at is that when you have these situations, you have a number of things that you have to look look at. You have activities going on between human beings. You have activities going on between human beings and machines or computer systems. And you have activities going on between machine to machine or computer system to computer system. So in this hyper-competitive world, all those pieces are part of this thing. Again, it's not about just launching a system. We have to look at the holistic view in the environment that's out there. And if we look at this, it has to do fundamentally with time and distance shrinking over a relatively short period of time. So if we go back historically to Sun Tzu, 500 BC, the speed of communication was the speed of a person, three to five miles an hour. Then a huge leap occurred in the 1500s to the 1800s, where we had horses and ships. We 
accelerated to 10 miles an hour. Then about 1850 to 1930 came steamships and steam locomotives, 35 miles an hour to 65 miles an hour. Oh, my goodness. Then in the 1950s, we had propeller aircraft, speed 300 to 400 miles an hour, 60s, jet aircraft, 500 to 700 miles an hour, and of course now, the internet, managing at the speed of change, essentially, that's, that's there. And the internet, of course, started off at whatever it is, 15 bits per second or whatever the cycle was to now, two, three, five gigabits of speed that's there. So this destruction of space and time that we saw leads us even more into this hyper-competitive world where things can happen everywhere. We also have to recognize some of the unpleasant things about this environment and things that we have to watch out for. Because there's implications of this conversion, the, the convergence that's going on, and the resulting maneuverability that we need. Unfortunately, again, there's good stuff and there's, there's bad stuff. Information is now essentially subject to manipulation. And some of you are seeing some of these things that are really kind of scary when you think about being able to put words in people's mouths on videos that sure look like the person that actually is, is saying these things now is the actual author. And so this is just one of the things that we're going to chat about in our last segment coming up. And that's the implications of all of these things going on in this hyper-competitive world. And that may be an advantage as we look at sources of competitive environments. Maybe we can become the broker of trusted information in this hyper-competitive world. We become the go-to environment that's there and everyone starts chasing us because of that advantage you know, that we tend to have. So we're going to chat about these implications of all of these changes going on right after our next break. Please remember that we are tweeting during our show. Sam Holzman is the handle, S-A-M-H-O-L-C-M-A-N. We'll see you for our last segment. Come back to the break in just a few minutes. Thanks for listening. We'll just see you in a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You 
You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Hello, this is Sam Holzman, and we are talking about hyper-competition going beyond just digitization or digital transformation phrase that we hear about as we're moving into the information age, these things are getting a bit more strategic. Yes, strategic, not tactical by implementing just a computer system, but looking at this concept of hyper-competition, competition that is continuous. And so we're moving from a series of characteristics just a few years ago to this new hyper-competitive world in the information age. As we move from the industrial age through the internet age into the information age. So we're moving from mass production into mass customization. That's part of the hyper-competitive world that we're in. And I'm going to use a phrase even amplifying it even more. Mass customization in quantities of one. Mass customization in quantities of one. And we already have some of that when we start thinking about it just a little bit differently. If you have a smartphone, whether it's an Apple iPhone or an Android device that's there, think about your different screens that you have. I'm going to bet that probably if you have a household, no one in your household has the exact same things on every screen mass customization in quantities of one. Now, we don't think about that from a business standpoint, but that's a pretty neat thing. You and I can have virtually anything that we want. Now, there's limitations. In other words, if it's not in the Android store or it's not in the Apple uh, app store, we can't have it. But we've only got about, what, uh, 6 million, 8 million, 12 million choices that are out there. Mass customization in quantities of one. How does your business, how does your enterprise How does your charity, how does your department in the government address mass customization for its clientele, its citizenry? How do you do that? That's what we're facing in this hyper-competitive world. We're going from mass marketing to one-on-one marketing. I'm speaking to you right now in an environment that we didn't have 30 years ago. I'm able to get my message out in a new way that wasn't available before. I hope it's not just one-on-one marketing in the case of this show, but we have a message that we're delivering and hopefully people are picking this up, and by the way, at their convenience. Not only on the live broadcast time, but throughout the day, throughout the evening, in any time zone that uh, people can think about that's there. We're going from just customer research to customer participation, part of this feedback loop that's out there. Now, some of this is a little bit uncomfortable for us, and we understand that. And boy, do I understand that. If any of you who know who know me know what I'm talking about here. I'm not really comfortable with all of these other entities having all this information about me. But I'm part, that's really what is customer participation. We are giving up some of our data, some of our activities, some of our website addresses that we're going to some of the purchasing activities we're going to, and what we're getting in return is a dollar off or $10 off or a special coupon or something like that. 
It's customers participating. It's giving the vendors, giving the customers, giving the government a recognition as to what we're looking for because we're purchasing things or saying good things about that. We're moving from the physical value chain that's optimized. And people talk about this all the time, the supply chain and things like that, to an information value chain optimization. That's the key in the information age. How do we provide the best information value through products, through services out there? We're talking about moving from physical collaboration with suppliers to information collaboration. This becomes a little bit difficult. We understand that. How do we share information, especially with the software practices that we have out there and the hacking is due to the software practices that are in, as we call it, maturity level one. So we've got to move the maturity to make sure that information collaboration stays solid. The most secure form of communication and information collaboration right now, and if some of you are hearing my voice, you know there's a humor inflection in there, is the United States Postal Service. We put something in an envelope, we put a stamp on it, and that's probably the most secure form we have right now of collaboration. It's kind of scary. We should think about why that is more secure than the Internet. And it has nothing to do with blockchain. That's not going to do anything. It has nothing to do with passwords or retinal identification or fingerprint identification. It has to do with looking at the processes in the organization and recognizing the differences and going from manual to mechanized to information in the internet collaboration environment in this hyper-competitive world. And why is all of this hacking going on? Because that's the source of future revenue, data. Just like, you know, if, if you need $100,000, the first place that you'd want to steal money from if you're that type of individual and it's horrible to say this, would be a bank. That because, you know why? Because there's money there. Well, same thing here. In the information world, that's what we're talking about. And in this hyper-competitive environment, information is the key to future activities. And that's why all this hacking is happening, because you build up data over a long period of time. In the United States, our memory is about 90 days, unfortunately. Other parts of the world, it's nine years or 90 months or 90 years. Different environment, different activities. Now, by the way, I'm not suggesting that all evildoers are, are outside the U.S. So we've got enough here. Uh, we can count those off too. And as we move in this hyper-competitive environment, we're moving from customer service excellence that we hear about a lot to a lot of people saying, forget that, I want self-service. I want, of course, an excellent environment for that self-service, but I don't want to have an intermediary working with me. I can work on this own at a much faster pace. Uh, and we see that in a lot of industries uh, you know, right now. We're moving from physical location in the hyper-competitive world to virtual globalization. It really doesn't matter. Now, yes, there is politics and there are governments and there are rules and regulations 
Uh, and as what I'm fearing, and when I say I'm fearing, I believe that eventually in a relatively short period of time, we're not going to see the internet the way it is not right now. We're going to see the splinter net. And I would give a credit to someone that came up with that concept. I was trying to research it before the show. Uh, so I did not come up with that phrase. I love it, though. The splinter net is going to disintermediate and disintegrate this concept. And I believe it's because of the hacking and the vulnerabilities that we have, again, because of the software practices that are out there. So we see more globalization. How are you going to deal with that, that hyper-competitive environment that, you know, that is out there? And as I joked about in the previous segment about the Jetsons television show, physical products delivered to the door. How about virtual products delivered to a technology appliance that's sitting in your house? Um, I don't know how far away that is. I've been thinking about this concept uh, you know, you know, quite a bit. And uh, I don't think it's that far away to be able to, to, to do something like that, where we have the environment uh, in our layer, essentially, that's there. How about this one? We see the displacement of knowledgeable salespeople for a couple of reasons. Again, with a bit of humor, there aren't any. <laughs> with less humor, the cost of, of, of that, that uh, sales help is very, very, very difficult versus having software do some of that. So the implication of all of this convergence is really a digital economy. Information anywhere, anytime, at any form. And when you think about the hyper-competitive environment that's in, that should be something that you think about every day. Information anywhere, information at any time, information in any form, whether it's on a cell phone, whether it's on a pad, whether it's on a computer, uh, whether it's on a tweet, whether it's on a uh, uh, listening device that's out there. And this information exchange is going to be now a knowledge-centric economy. Brain cells are the key to this competitive advantage in the hyper-competitive world. It is not writing software it is not thinking about things. It's essentially brain cells that will push this forward. And they cost money. They cost money. As I always tell people, the Internet does not have best practices published on the Internet. What you see on the Internet is published practices. Best practices cost money. And one of my favorite examples goes back to Taylor Swift, if you remember when Apple was announcing their streaming service, Tim Cook, the CEO, very innocently said, we're going to provide this to everyone at no cost for 90 days. It sounded really good. What Taylor Swift said is, hold on a second, Mr. Cook. You don't own my music. You have a pipe to deliver the music. So you have a pipeline. I have the oil. You have the electronic pipeline. I have the intellectual property called music. You're not giving anybody anything that you own. You have a pipeline. So we got to talk about this. And she wrote a very nice email to Mr. Cook that evening when they announced this free service. And one of the best lines she had is, 
Mr. Cook, we don't ask Apple for free iPhones. Please don't ask us to give you your in, our intellectual property for free. And the next morning, by the way, Tim Cook and Apple changed their direction to be able to address this. Recognition that things are changing very rapidly. They didn't use the word hyper-competitive environment. They didn't use the word digital transformation. But as the information-based economy uh, that we're, we're talking about. And this is essentially, the, once again, the concept of disintermediation, moving things away from the way things are. And this is going to cause ripple effects to all of us. And we're seeing that, different skills, different techniques, different processes. And in a hyper-competitive environment, strategy, architecture, assemble-to-order abilities will give us the key to the hyper-competitive world. In a previous episode of, of our program, we talked about this concept of maturing to an assemble-to-order, mass customization, and quantities of one. And that is the key to this hyper-competitive world that we're going to look at. And all forms of the information are going to become equal to somebody. We don't know where this is going to lead. A piece of data, a piece of information may be more valuable to one person than the other. And we're even going to see more destruction of barriers to entry in this hyper-competitive world because of all these mechanisms that we have. So... We're essentially on the verge of a new environment that goes beyond just the word digitalization. It's the recognition that this stuff can become a competitive advantage to us if we recognize the concept of maneuverability, which starts with understanding the business directions, the business processes, the data required to do that, building a baseline for addressing continuous change and leading that change, not managing it, but leading those changes to disrupt the marketplace. The concept of hyper-competition involves those three legs of the stool, which are the business strategy, the business activities, the technology to enable that, of course, and the third component being the human element. And the human element being how does the organization affect this hyper-competitive environment? It's a state of continuous change. A lot of people like that. A lot of people are uncomfortable. This is the state of things that we see in this hyper-competitive world. Because the organizations that we deal with are massively parallel information processing entities. That's what we're trying to do. Addressing and managing continuous change. Hyper-competition. This is where the 2020s enterprise is going. The concept is maneuverability. I'm Sam Holzman. You've been listening to the 2020s enterprise. We are tweeting just for a few minutes. Sam Holzman, S-A-M-H-O-L-C-M-A-N is the tweet. I can be reached at sam at eacoe.org. Sam at eacoe.org. Thank you for listening. Hope to hear from you. Have a great day.